What's up, y'all? It's Zach from Living Corporate. Now, look, you know what we do, right? I come on here, I say, what's up, y'all? And I say it in this smooth way, right? And then I say, we're a platform that amplifies the voices of black and brown people at work. But just for those of you who don't know, we are a platform that amplifies voices of black and brown people at work. Now, if you're new to the space, you may say, well, how do you actually do that? Let me tell you how we do that. We do that by having pointed, accessible, and real, authentic interviews with black and brown executives, leaders, movers and shakers, influencers, public servants, um, educators, activists, creatives, artists, you know what I'm saying, with everybody. And we also interview non-black and brown folks, too, for those who are fragile and feel not involved. We got y'all, too. You're welcome. As long as you are, are an advocate for black and brown uh, people. And so, look, we we do this. And uh, today is no different. We actually have a great guest like we do every episode. But I'm saying this this episode really for real, because sometimes I have a guest and y'all y'all send me messages like, OK, but no. But really, this time, super, super dope guest. Our guest is Maureen Green James. What's up, sound man? Give me some air horns right here. OK, thank you. Now, look, Maureen, um, she's an HR professional whose background experiences and expertise include HR leadership, talent development, diversity and inclusion, employee engagement communications and change management whoa marine serves by bringing expertise and experiences in hr leadership diversity and inclusion talent leadership development employee engagement and change management to cognizant serving as the leader y'all check it out whoa 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 the leader of diversity leadership development for north america so all of the states right including the little states on the side for those of y'all who aren't too good at geography alaska and hawaii those those spots too Right. She's in charge of all of that. Right. Now, to further enhance Cognizant's commitment to diversity, she plays a key role in the company's efforts around executive talent and leadership development while staying focused on building a diverse, high performing pipeline of strong women leaders. Maureen has been recognized for her professional accomplishments in Black Enterprise magazine. Come on, Black Enterprise. And in 2014, received the most powerful and influential woman award by the National Diversity Council. I mean, come on. I mean, what what can we really say here? I got to drop at least one flex bomb. Maureen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am great, Zachary. How are you? I am really, really well. So, you know, for, you know, kind of look some, a little bit of behind the scenes tea. I'm really glad we're able to sit down. We've been so busy. We have. It's been a lot of stuff going on. I've been doing some travel for work, but, you know, it's all good. I'm staying busy, staying Focused on all things inclusion and diversity within my organization as, as well as, you know, within other organizations that I have the opportunity to be in front of and share my knowledge and expertise. Okay, well, hold on. So you say you've been traveling, you know, and, and again, you say your organization as, as well as, as you know, as, as other organizations. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the other organizations that you've been able to share your knowledge and expertise with? Sure. So I often have the opportunity to um, really utilize my platform and my voice to speak with other organizations and at conferences and inclusion summits. So I've you know, had the opportunity to be in front of MetLife as an organization just to talk about diversity and inclusion and actually hosted a panel around inclusion not too long ago. 
Um, I also have the opportunity to work with PwC, which is an organization that obviously I'm familiar with because that's where I was for the past, I would say, about 11 and a half years. So I do spend a lot of time um, really focusing on diversity and inclusion, obviously within Cognizant, but also making sure that I am sharing the knowledge and expertise as well as learning from other organizations too around what we're doing, what we're all doing in this space to really build an inclusive work environment. Well, I mean, I just think it's incredible. And that's why we're so excited to have you on the show today. So, you know, I gave a bit of an introduction we talked about. And just now you talked about some of the speaking you've been doing. And I talked about your professional background. But for those of us who don't know you, is there anything else you think you'd like to share about yourself? Yeah. Um, so for those of anyone who doesn't know me, um, knows that I am a really passionate, um, I don't like to say HR leader, even though it's probably what it says in my bio, but I'm a people leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like I like to get in touch with the people. I like to know what's going on with people within an organization, what makes them tick, um, what makes them get engaged with the organization that they belong, that they work for, and what allows them to feel like they are working within an organization that has a very strong culture of belonging. So those are the things that are, you know, really important to me and, and the things I'm passionate about professionally. Um, I recently had the opportunity to um, speak at a an inclusion summit for an organization called ATG, Advanced Technology Group. And, you know, one of the questions that they asked me was around, you know, so what are the things that people don't know about you? And I said, well, you know, here's some things you don't know about me. I like to kayak, I like to read, I like to, you know, learn, I like to hang out with my family. And of course, my favorite thing in the world is I like to spend time on the beach. But try and mix all of that, some of the business and the pleasure together so that I have what I like to call, um, work life like some kind of work life equality not necessarily balance because there's no such thing as work life balance well, listen we could have a whole another podcast about that because I, I, I <laughs> it's not true all right like i think yeah, anyway no no i'm gonna go ahead and say so <laughs> so this is I, I, I sometimes i sometimes talk about like work life blend right and I've, like, yes. I've even had like a this was back when i was like 23 uh, 23, 24, I, I wrote a part, I wrote an article on LinkedIn about, I said, um, work-life balance is a myth because it is right. Mm-hmm. Like, like we live in a capitalist society and like the rate of, um, the rate of pay has not gone up with the rate of work. So whether you want to accept true. it or not, right? Like you are like, people are now working more than they ever have before and not getting paid commensurate with the, just the hours. And I'm even talking about like the thought leadership or the quality of just the hours of work that you put in. Um, people at at large are not getting paid for um, at, and, and again kind of direct with that right so and so this idea of like work-life balance like I that's I know the workforce of the future is this whole new topic is this whole topic around like just how people are going to be working differently because this this cannot continue at the rate that it is and so this whole idea of work-life balance like you said I just I don't think it's real either so that's awesome it doesn't exist yeah, it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. It doesn't exist. And, and, you know, people call you pessimistic or whatever, but it's not it's like it doesn't. That's not necessarily good or bad. It's just like, but you want to be honest. That way you can actually start creating some boundaries yeah. and, and kind of like just start determining what your atmosphere is going to be. Exactly. So, yes, ma'am. So, look, let's let's just get into it. OK, so now with uh, with Trump's president, I'd say we have a stronger focus on diversity and inclusion than ever before. But. I'd argue that we've seen a sort of colonization of space where discussions around race are dismissed as elementary, right? Like gender is amplified and diversity of thought is a North star. 
So what, if anything, do you think can be done to include more black and brown folks, particularly black and brown women in these spaces? Yeah, so that's a great question, Zachary. And one of the things I see is that when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, we have to really be thinking more broadly around what does what does the diversity lens look like, right? So there was a point in time when the diversity lens looked like it was all about um, race and ethnicity, right? And so now women are a bigger and much larger part of the conversation as it should be. But then there's also the opportunity for us to really be thinking more broadly around, like you say, black and brown folks and black and brown women. So we know that at leadership levels within organizations, we don't see enough of us. But there are some things I think that can be done to ensure that we really have a a bigger seat at that table. For example, um, I love to see black and brown women really put themselves in positions to be front and center, to be leaders. And that sometimes means for us stepping a little bit out of our comfort zone, right? And putting ourselves in places and on opportunity, in opportunities and on projects where we may not necessarily have every single requirement that, that let's say is in the quote unquote job description, but we have a good percentage of it. And so then why wouldn't we go for it? And that's typically something that women on a whole don't necessarily do. Right. And so just think about it from a black and brown perspective, we do it even less because we feel like we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't put ourselves front and center for some of those things. Right. So I think that we need to make sure that we're putting ourselves front and center. I also think that we need to be seeking out, um, seeking out mentors and sponsors. And the reason I mention both is because there's a difference, right? right, right. So you're a mentor is somebody who's going, you're going to go to for advice and counsel on your career and is it going the right direction and that kind of thing. And people need that. Everybody needs that, especially if you're an emerging manager within an organization. But then if you're at a higher, a little bit of a higher level, but not necessarily at that C-suite level, then you need a sponsor. You need somebody who is going to talk about you when you leave the room in a really good way, you know, not dishing all your business, but talk about (laughs) you in a really good way to say, I know that Maureen can do this because I have seen her do X, Y, Z. I know that she can win that client over because she has the skills to do this based on the work that she's done with a similar client. And I have been privy to that. So you really need to have that sponsor who's going to pound the table for you and say, hey, this is the woman that you need front and center. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, I mean, because I could go on for days. But those are some of the things that I think are really critical for black and brown women to focus on. So so let's do this then. Right. Because it is interesting because I was just, you know, you, you see a lot of these think pieces out lately, but I was just <laughs> actually I was just actually um, listening in on Dr. Janice, um, who is like, mm-hmm. right. And so she was talking about how leaning in doesn't always work. Right. Because like, what do you yes. do? What do you do if you, so you, so like, so look, we just had you Maureen Green James, um, inclusion and diversity, extraordinaire leader of people, speaker, snatcher of edges. You know what I'm saying? You out here, you just gave us great wisdom and insight on what should happen and what, what we should do. But what happens when, first of all, how do we do that? How do we have those conversations and put ourselves out there? And then, what advice then would you give to uh, the people who are in power, right? Which is basically white men and women on how they can be effective sponsors. Like, how does that happen? That's a really good question. So 
Advice I would give to people who are um, uh, who looking for sponsors, what I would say is that you look for someone who doesn't even remotely look like you or sound like you, walk or talk like you. And that's a hard thing to, to say, right? It's a hard thing for somebody to get their mind wrapped around. So I'll give you a, um, a quick story. So um, when I was working for PwC, there was a point in time when I was looking for someone to really... Um, not, I was looking for a mentor. I was truly looking for a sponsor, right? Somebody that I knew was going to give it to me straight. So it was going to tell me, yeah, Maureen, you're not doing a really good job at this. And yeah, you're doing great at this. And here's what else you can do to improve in that particular area. And I was also looking for somebody to talk about me behind closed doors when I wasn't in the room. And so I really decided to put myself completely outside of my comfort zone. And I went and had a conversation with somebody who I previously did not necessarily get along with. And I had the conversation for two reasons. One, I wanted to understand what it was about this individual that I, that, that, that for whatever reason, our, our, you know, we just rubbed edges. So I needed to understand that just from my own personal understanding. And two, I wanted to understand it from the standpoint of saying, okay, so now that I have an understanding of what that is, is this the person that could really be my sponsor? Mm. And so I invited him out to lunch and we had a great conversation. We talked about that one moment where we bumped heads. It was a few years before, but he remembered it very well. And I definitely did not forget it. Right. And at the end of that conversation, I simply said to him, here's what I'm looking for. And I would like for you to be this person to help me, to help move me along in my career to help be that person who's going to step in and and really be that person pounding the table for me and he was completely taken aback and surprised but elated at the same time that i asked and when i tell you Zachary, that he was the probably one of the best individuals i have had work with me in my career he was straightforward with me when he needed to be and he was at the table um, you know, singing my praises, one, but two, really talking about what it was that I could do, how I deliver, how he's seen me deliver. And so I really think it's important that um, we step outside of our comfort zones and we don't look for people who look like us or think like us or who've worked in the same organizations or even in the same industry and sector. This person didn't work in HR. Um, did work for the company, but didn't work in HR, didn't have an HR understanding, didn't necessarily want it. And that's why they were so critical, because they can give you a different perspective, something that you don't yourself necessarily see because you're in that space all the time. So that's one of the things I would would definitely say is um, critical. Step outside your your comfort zone and and look for somebody different. I love that. And so then... And so then on the other side, right? So like when you put yourself Mm -hmm. out there, what advice would you give to your, to your non-melanated, right? Counterparts Mm -hmm. on how they can make themselves available to be sponsors. I I love (laughs) (laughs) non-melanated. You like that, huh? (laughs) I love that. I love that. So one of the things I would say is, um, I, so I'm going to, to, you know, really try and step into their shoes for a second, even though that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. I would say it's very difficult for them to 
feel as though they can put themselves out there. And so the one piece of advice I would give them is just get to know someone. Um, it's at the end of the day, Zach, we're all human beings. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we do a lot of stuff alike. Okay. We're really not that different. And I really think, I really think it's important that we are, um, that, that we encourage our, our non-melanated counterparts <laughs> to feel like they can have a conversation with us. But to make them feel like that, we have to treat them the way we want to be treated. So in other words, we can't necessarily roll up on them with any kind of, you know, um, any kind of negative thinking around how we think they're going to treat us or how we think they're going to approach us. Just have the conversation with them like you would anybody else. And honestly, you'd be surprised at how open and willing they are to really working with you. But sometimes they feel like they need to be given permission to know you. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier with um, Trump as president. So, you know, I, I think that has created... Um, a lot of friction in the term, in terms of the way people just approach each other on a daily basis, right? You know, um, non-melanated people may think that they can't. Yeah, I, I think they think that they can't approach um, black and brown people, right? Or they shouldn't. But before Trump, did we really think that? Did we really have that going on, or were we comfortable just kind of saying, you know, what's up? Can we talk? I wasn't. But, you know, I don't but I, I do believe that it's definitely been more heightened now. Right. Like yes. I, right. So, like, I mean, uh, you know, it just I think it all depends right on your background, right on your story, kind of where you came from. I know just based on like so my family coming from the south and like horrific experiences that they had, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they've never really been comfortable like in, in certain situations and in experiences I had I've had as well. And just in my in my life, not even just like singing my parents song. There's always there's always been a bit of hesitation. I definitely believe, though, to your point, I believe is that um, it's definitely been like it's it's way more pointed now than it, it has is. been in a while. Yeah, yeah, which is which is very unfortunate because I I, I think people, you know, most people I, are inherently good and really want to help and want to engage. Yeah. Um. You know, but I I think that. Um, you know, they don't necessarily feel like they can or they should. And so they don't. And so it's almost like they want permission from us. And I think we, uh, black and brown people need to give a little, a little permission. And it's hard in this day and time. That's a really hard thing to do. Um, it, it is right. Cause like there's so much, yeah. emotional, there's so much emotional labor. And I think, yes. I know that you know this, but it's like, I, I think it's, I think it's really I think it's a huge blind spot and I think it actually goes into um, our next question, which is around like DNI programs and organizations. When they think about diversity and inclusion, I don't think that organizations are effectively factoring in like just the emotional labor that it, that it, that goes into being other and majority white spaces. Um, yeah. Nor do I think people really un- like, so like just black tax, right? So like um, we're recording this on, uh, the day of Amber Geiger's sentencing, right? Yes. And like black and brown folks who've been looking at the trial, specifically black people looking yes. at the trial and like seeing this person who was convicted of murder. So 
Okay, so she did murder this person. Um, mm-hmm. Crying and like like crying like crying fake tears, crying crying to what many people felt were fake tears, and like that could be triggering to a lot of different folks. Um, the body cam footage being released and like so like just dealing with all of that and the PTSD like symptoms that though that just seeing black death or um, constant coverage of black death cause like those people still have to go to work right those people still have to interact with people who may shrug their shoulders at that stuff and so absolutely I think like I just think to your point about it being hard I think that it's really easy to undermine or dismiss I don't think that you can overstate how hard it is to make yourself available. I'm not saying that you shouldn't or that you, right. but I'm just saying like, I wish that for me, right. So I know I'm interviewing you, but this is me just talking to you as someone who is in a position, right. As a, as an executive, mm-hmm. I, I wish that organizations would be more thoughtful to that. Right. And I think, I think there's just so much work to do. Um, I'm curious to know though, what you believe organizations could still be, are still missing when they talk about diversity and inclusion, like, and you have these conversations, um, on the big stages and also in the smaller rooms, like what are some themes that you're seeing around organizations when, and, and kind of what they're, what they still could be developing when it comes to their programming? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think some organizations are doing a fairly good job. And then there's some organizations that are, you know, they're trying to get there. They're doing the, I'll say they're doing the best they can. Right. So one of the things I think is very, um, commendable and courageous is having uh, those bold and courageous conversations, right? I think that that is something that is, um, it's innovative, it's fresh, it invites everyone to the table to have the deep discussion. Um, At times they can get really real and dig deeper than anyone wants to go and they can create emotions out of people that no one expected. But that's necessary to have an understanding of what everyone on all sides of the coin, so on, uh, across the entire spectrum of diversity, um, is thinking and feeling. I think where organizations um, fail, so organizations that do that, I think they're doing great. But I think where those same organizations fail is that after they do that work, what happens next? So what are you right. supposed to do with those conversations? Right. What is the expectation <laughs> for the people who are sitting as part of those conversations? Okay, great. We had it. Okay, I understand that, you know, you're, you know, how you feel because uh, uh, this woman was just, you know, convicted of murder. She's gotten 10 years. And I'm, yeah, I understand that. But what, what am I supposed to do with this? There needs to be um, and afterwards, there needs to be an understanding of, you know, uh, okay, so here's what I feel, but here's the reason why I feel this way. And mm. then there should be opportunities for people to bring that into the thinking of, around how we work, right? how we hire people in organizations, right? right? right. So are we, are we thinking about um, talent of all colors? Mm. Are we thinking about talent of just one color so in other words you have to take the conversation from just you know engaging people and saying yeah here's what we did we brought everybody together we had a really good conversation and now the organization is better for it the organization is okay (laughs) but it's not better for it unless the people unless everybody in that conversation walks away with okay what can we do next and that's the thing i think is missing 
No, I agree with that. Right. And I think so when you talk about DNI programming as a whole, like it's just not restorative. Right. It's not right. Right. It's not restorative. And it's also not policy driven. It's not data driven. It's not policy and it's not results oriented by the by means of policies being updated. So like all the things you just said. So, OK, we had the conversation. Cool. This is how we feel. OK, now this is what we're going to do about it. And this is how we're as an organization going to change. And this is what accountability is going to look like in light of the conversation and the insights mm-hmm. that we gather. like that then makes the emotional labor worth something. But like if you're putting in emotional labor and not getting anything in return, like not only is that like exhausting on the inset, but then it's defeating on the outset. Right. 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 Absolutely. Um, I just I just. And so that's that's huge. I think that's that's huge. And I, again, really leads us into the next question. So, yeah. Okay, you're the first. So we've interviewed some folks, right? I'm not. I'm not a name dropper. Okay, you go to Living Court Podcast out. Y'all check it out. Y'all can see the people that we've talked to. But you're the and we've talked to folks who have been in like these global or national positions around inclusion and diversity. But I believe you're the first person that we've spoken to who mm-hmm. is like in their title integrated integrating inclusion with leadership. And so can we? Ah. Talk? Yeah. So it's pretty cool. And I think like. <laughs> And I believe that's like the next I really believe that's the next level or the next phase when you talk about kind of reclaiming DNI. I do see like more and more black women and and black and brown people being in these these positions of um, inclusion and diversity much more than I have in the past. I don't know, seven or eight years. Um, Oh, yeah. Right. I see. I've seen an uptick. And I think like when I I talk about like kind of decolonizing DNI, I talk about like reclaiming this space. That's what that's part of what I mean. And so. Um, can we talk a little bit about how you've led the strategy for Cognizant to drive the intersection of those two spaces and then also what you're continuing to do? Sure. So at Cognizant, I've had the opportunity to, like you mentioned, be, be on both sides, right? So diversity and inclusion as well as leadership development. So within Cognizant, um, the leadership development is really, um, the global leadership development team is really focused on growing leaders at the director and above level. And within doing that, it's also focused on making sure that our people at those levels are very diverse across the board. What I would say, Zachary, is that we um, we have a long way to go, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we're different from many other organizations out there. We do have a very long way to go in terms of how do we continue to build this inclusive strategy specifically, excuse me, for our directors and above. And so while I am focused on everybody across the organization, regardless of level, obviously, um, my leadership development role is only focused on our directors and above, but I make sure to keep a diversity and inclusion lens on that population of people because when individuals see diversity at the higher levels of the organization, it attracts more people. It allows us to retain more diverse people because now they're able to see levels and opportunities and projects and roles that they can aspire to. Right. And it helps us to grow and develop that population. So it helps us to grow the diversity that we do have at the manager and below level into those leadership levels. So it's a, you know, we like to say it's a cyclical win-win, right? At the attract, retain and develop um, pillars. But what I will say to you is that our focus 
um, primarily for the past year and a half or since I've been there, has been around gender diversity. Hmm. And so I bring a different lens to it because I'm not thinking about just let's just you know bring any women in. I'm thinking about <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about what do the women look like? Where do they come from? Where have they been? Right. What industry? What sectors? All of those things. But I'm really also making sure that we're building into this. A diverse lens, so we have some black and brown people at, at you know at the higher levels. So we make sure that we're incorporating individuals with disabilities at those levels, mm, right? Yes. All all of all of those things. So we're in, incorporating our LGBTQ plus community. Right. We need to be able to have people at those levels who are going to be the the people that other individuals in the organization aspire to or other individuals outside of the organization see and now say to themselves, well, if so-and-so can be a leader within this organization, there's an opportunity for me here. There's an opportunity for me here to start somewhere. So that's what the strategy has really been built around, you know, making sure that when we're focused on gender diversity, but we're looking at it across the lens of all of all the components of inclusion. You're bringing intersectionality to the table. Absolutely. All day, every day. Amen. All day, every day. And I think I think, Maureen, like for me, you're everything you said, of course, 100 percent spot on. I think what organizations don't realize is. For me, anyway, right when I come into when I come into organization, I've been in a few different places, so I've seen a lot. Like I've seen a variety of cultures, mm-hmm. but, but I always when I come in, I consider myself, I consider myself about like an A minus employee. Okay, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm not like the best, but I'm very, <laughs> very, very good. Because I have other things going. I got living corporate. I got time. I'm okay. Like I got other stuff. But with all that being said. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. You know what I'm saying. I'm gonna give. I hear you. you. I'm gonna keep that extra plus for me. But my point is, I'm a very strong employee. So when I come into organizations, I have aspirations. I have goals. I typically, without even like actively trying to do it, I just end up kind of zooming in on like the senior most black people, and I look and see how they're treated, Uh and I use that as a gauge to feel like, okay, let me just think. Okay, so this person has a doctorate and an MBA and an actual experience. Um, interned with the UN, um, can speak two language, can speak three languages, two more than my, me, uh, and two and a half more than me. Shoot, sometimes, and they're still being treated like this. So, yeah. what does that then mean for my prospects as someone who's looking to build a five, six, seven-year roadmap here? Right. So, a hundred percent right in that um, the treatment, how how you treat. I mean, people people see those things, right? So let's pause for a second, though, because I want to go back to something you said. You talked about the director level, director and up. Um, yep. Have you ever have you noticed a pattern of black and brown folks kind of like climbing a ladder and getting to the director level or like senior manager level even and just kind of stalling out? Yes. Um, what, and what's I the w- reason I w- behind that? Yeah, I wouldn't say that. And that's not a that's an every organization thing. It's right, it's definitely right. not a, a, a you know, a cognitive. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, definitely not. Um, what I would say the issue behind that is, is that people uh, people in those roles um, tend to start out because the higher you go within the organization, a lot of times you don't see people who look like you. So the people who are who have the um, power to make, yes, to make the decisions to therefore promote a black or brown person into those high level roles aren't necessarily there. Yeah. So they're looking through one lens, mm. and their lens is typically 
people they know, people they've worked on projects with before, people they went to school with, people that they're in the same social circles with, those kinds of things. And black and brown people aren't necessarily always in those places. Right. And so I think that that is part of part of the problem. I think the other problem is um, we as black and brown people sometimes tend to hurt ourselves. Hmm. Because we don't necessarily put ourselves in those positions. I can speak for from experience. Mm. I did. I did it to myself, and and you know, almost derailed my career years ago when I decided that I didn't want to attend an event that I was invited to. Mm. Um, but I responded and said I would, and then at the last minute said, you know what? No one is going to notice if I don't show up, mm. and so I declined it at the last minute. And sure enough, next day I walk into the office, the person who invited me says, Maureen, we missed you last night. Now, this was not someone who looked like me. Yeah. It was somebody who I thought really wasn't even paying attention to me. Um, but obviously he was. And I made the really poor executive decision to not go because, and you heard me say it, I thought I was not going to be missed. No one is going to notice if I wasn't there. Yeah. Long story short, I go and later on in my career, and I worked for this individual not once, not twice, but three times in my career. Wow. Yeah. Um, and th- this man, I don't even know if he ever remembers this story, and I always say one of these things I need to remind him, but this, this individual, when he invited me, he invited me for a reason. So that's why I say we can derail ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, if you get an invitation like that, and this was a senior leader, take advantage of that. 100%. You know, yeah, no doubt. Absolutely, don't yeah. ever think. And that's the thing. That's the other thing. Don't ever think people aren't paying attention to you. They are. They are, especially if you are doing great work, like you said about yourself. You're, you're an A minus player, which I'm <laughs> sure you're an A plus <laughs> plus. If you even if you remotely think you're an A minus player, yeah. you somebody's paying attention to you, you know. So I think we need to do a better job of putting ourselves in places where we can be seen. But that all goes back to the point of being on those high visibility projects and how do we get there? There has to be somebody at the top that's pounding the table for us to get there. So it's yeah. kind of cyclical. You see what I'm saying? It's it's kind of like you're almost like stuck in a a loop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. No, it, it is. It is. Now, now, you know, we've talked a little bit about programming. We've talked, we kind of had a meta discussion about DNI, but then like, I'm curious, right. From a leadership perspective, if you were to give like five key traits of, of inclusive leaders, mm-hmm. those five, like five key behaviors, like what would they be? Um, it's a good question. I would say, Definitely someone who's a, an inclusive leader is someone who's a good listener. And I don't mean someone who's just going to kind of listen and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. okay, next. But someone who's really going to listen to what you have to say, someone who's able to um, replay that back to you, right? You know, recap that and say, okay, I understand. So tell me, what would you like me to do next? How would you like me to proceed? So not just listen, but then understand, get to understand what needs to happen next. Um, second thing is be a great giver of feedback. Um, it's really, really important to give feedback because feedback really, truly is a gift. 
but it's also important to get feedback. So I always encourage leaders that I work with not to feel like they're because they're in a quote unquote leadership role that they're just supposed to be the people who give feedback. No, it has to be reciprocal, and they have to not only ask for feedback, but then they have to ask follow up questions so they can understand what is it that they're doing well. Or not doing so well, so that they themselves can change and evolve their own behaviors. The third thing I would say is, an inclusive leader should be somebody who's able to pay it forward.、Hmm. So be able to reach back, reach to the sides, reach wherever, and pull somebody along, take somebody along for the journey that they're on. Because it helps that that individual learn and grow in their own respect, and you know, I always I always tell leaders, you didn't get here by yourself. Let's just be real about some things. Right. You took the same journey that now this individual behind you is also trying to take. So do the right thing, and if you've got somebody that you know wants to move in this, in the, in the, you know the same career path, or may want to do something different, but can use your guidance and expertise, pull them along with you. The fourth thing I would say is an inclusive leader should be somebody who is able to truly bring a team together, and you know, bring them together. I'm not saying bring them together for lunch.、Yes. I'm talking about bring them together so that they have a good understanding of who they are as a team. What are the team goals? What are they striving for? And most, most importantly, as a team. Understand what each of them individually are able to contribute and bring to the table, because it is the individual nuances that we all bring to an organization or a team that helps us to be a successful team. That's how we create inclusive products, inclusive、um, services for our clients, is by bringing those innovative and inclusive voices to the table. So, an inclusive leader should definitely be somebody who. Um, is able to bring a team together, and then I think the last thing I would say is that an inclusive leader needs to be、um, very mindful of the fact that they are the ones who have the ear of the C-suite, and so they need to be individuals who can listen and hear what's going on on the ground, so across their teams and other teams. And be able to articulate that and bubble that up to the top, so that any issues or concerns that may be rising are things that they're able to squash before it becomes a bigger issue. They've got to listen in on what's happening at the ground level, and 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 be able to help manage to help to help.、Um, Do some kind of change management or, or navigate the conversation so that it doesn't it doesn't become a bigger issue. But if it's getting there, they should be the ones who are able to bubble it up to top and then say, "Okay, so what can we do to mitigate this?" I think that that's that's really it. Wow, wow, no, absolutely. Thank you so much. You know, you just just dropping dropping bombs, dropping、uh, coins, <laughs> as it were. You know, yes,、yep. like just it's it's real. No, it's it's really helpful. I was trying not to cut you off because I had like a couple of these, but I was like, let me just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Did no. I'm just going on forever. No, 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 no. It's great. No, it's absolutely great. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. I thank you so much for for hanging out with us. I know we went a little bit long. Before we let you go, any parting words, shout outs? Parting words and shout outs. Um, parting words are, you know, just be for everyone, anyone who's listening, you know, just be the best human being that you can, you can truly be, you know, never take for granted where you are. Um, because again, you didn't get here on your own. Really, really important to reach back and help others. And then any shout outs I would give are simply to all of the people who are in the position as you are, Zachary, to help get these kinds of messages out. Kudos to you because this is not easy. You know, doing what you do is not easy. Having these kinds of deep and courageous conversations isn't easy. So kudos to you. And then shout outs to all of the people who are driving diversity and inclusion within their organizations because, you know, we've, we've got some work to do. Um, people love to say to me, you know, well, you know, in your, your role, you're going to have a job forever. It's just job security. Here's the thing. I'm not sure I want to live in a world where the need to have a diversity and inclusion leader is job security. Because that means we are, con- that means two things. One, the world's continuing to evolve and, you know, components of diversity continue to change. That's good. But two, it means we're not doing everything that we could and should be doing to make this a more inclusive and global environment. And so I don't know if I want that job security. I want it to be where it's just very um, organic, you know, that we're not thinking about, well, you know, how do we hire black and brown people? Where do we go to get them? No, it shouldn't be that way. And I know I've probably gone on way too long. Not at but all. So my shout out. Yeah, so my shout outs to you, my shout outs to my peeps who are doing this day in, day out and are leading the charge right along with me. So come on now. Let me get the air horns right here for that. <laughs> Love that. Love it. I, I, man, this is uh, this has just been great, Maureen. Thank you so much. And listen, y'all, that does it for us on the Living Corporate Podcast. Uh, you make sure you check us out on Twitter at Living Corp underscore pod, Instagram at Living Corporate. Then, you know, you got our website, Living dash corporate please say the dash dot com we also live in corporate.co live in corporate.org live in corporate.tv live in corporate.net maureen we have all the living corporates except live in corporate.com we have all <laughs> the living corporates you know, you know this market dissemination we really out here we're trying to make sure we get the Do seo clicks come on now um, absolutely we're trying to now um listen y'all y'all hear these conversations that we have um if y'all ever have questions y'all want to send in and like have us us being the host or our guests answer them just send them on in you know dm us email us at living corporate podcast at gmail.com you know and uh if we can just get it popping like that now look if you can't remember all the different places i just said or where we are and where we're at and what we're doing just google living corporate we out here like that it's been like 130 some odd episodes so we're now at the point now if you just google living corporate we'll pop up okay so you check us out um, and until next time This has been Zach, and you've been listening to Maureen Green-James, DNI leader, North America at Cognizant. Till next time, y'all. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. 
Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.